in the Bible, there are sins that are pointed out as deadly. And throughout church history, there's been seven sins that the church fathers have focused on to say, these are the ones you really need to watch out for because these are the ones that if you let them into your life can totally destroy it. And so tonight, the first one is envy. So we are going to look at envy. And as we look through it, I want you just to open up your hearts and your minds because maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't struggle with envy. I don't struggle with jealousy. Maybe you do. I think it tends to hide itself really well, and we're going to see that tonight. So we're in James chapter 3, and if you want to start in verse 13, that's where we're going to be. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Tonight I want to ask you guys the question, what is envy? I think envy is something that we don't tend to take very seriously. We kind of just connect it to jealousy. And we're all jealous at times, you know. We've seen singers and athletes and pretty people that we're jealous of. I'm sure everyone here has someone you've looked at and thought, man, I wish I could be them. And our natural tendency, honestly, by sin nature, is to desire what others have. So we kind of downplay envy. You know, like, I don't think that if you were to say, hey, give us a list of seven deadly sins that you'd put envy in there. We say envy is not so serious, but I believe though envy and jealousy are connected, they're not the same thing. Envy is a much more serious and deadly, poisonous sin. Envy is something that can suck the joy right out of your life. And I'd go so far to say that envy is responsible for the birth of sin and the death of Jesus. Uh, Immanuel Kant, this great philosopher, said this. uh, He defined envy as a reluctance to see our own well-being overshadowed by another's because the standard we use to see how well off we are is not the intrinsic worth of our own well-being, but how it compares with that of others. In other words, what he's saying is it's, it's when we don't want to see someone do better than us because it makes us feel overshadowed by their accomplishments. And the standard that we use to say how good we're doing is not the intrinsic worth that we all have because we're children of God. It's the standard comparison that we give to others. It's, it's, it's comparing. It's, it's swipe culture. It's, it's, you know, you can open up Instagram and you can instantly find yourself comparing to others. I don't know if you do, but I know I do. I open up Instagram and right away I have a million things I can compare myself with. I can compare myself to other people's hair, their shoes, their clothes. Maybe you compare someone's girlfriend or boyfriend and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. Or maybe you're dating someone now and you're like, oh, that, that person looks better than who I've got. Maybe you are looking at someone's house or someone's video games or their stuff just their possessions or their talent. Maybe you see someone's talent. You're like, oh, they're so great. Or maybe it's just someone's beauty. Maybe you're like, oh, I'll never look like them. That's just, it just makes me so envious. See, we live in a land of individualism. Everyone's trying to stand out. Everyone's trying to kind of prove to the world that they matter. And, and you know, I was just shocked recently um, in listening to a message on envy and studying envy in the word, how much I've seen this in my own life, not only as a pastor, but just as a human being. Um, I've had so many moments in my life where I've looked at what someone else had and said, why him, Lord? Why not me? Like, for instance, uh, every time I look at Scott Sanford, I'm just like, dude, he's so tall. Like, God, I'm 5'11". Why not just one more inch? Why couldn't I be six? Maybe some of you guys have had the height and the... with Scott as well. Um, but seriously, uh, I was bummed out. I thought Scott was going to be here tonight because I'm telling stories about him, uh, but he ended up being sick. But um, I seriously do remember a moment of envy I had with Scott. Um, when it comes to camps, no one has helped me more over the years than Scott, um, other than my amazing wife, Brooklyn. Uh, but when it comes to camps, you know, like Scott's been like one of my right hand guys running around, uh, doing errands, uh, running devos in the dorms, putting out fires, fighting mountain lions. 
happens. Uh, if you guys don't know that, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that didn't really happen. Um, but I remember the first camp I brought Scott to. He was still in high school, and I was the new junior high pastor. And I was, I was really short on counselors, so I was asking some of these high school guys. I think Aaron was there, and Scott was there, and a bunch of other high school kids were up there. Um, and Paul Perley and I were working together that year. So the camp was running well. It's my first time. Everything was running smooth. And then in the distance, I saw it. Uh, it was a pickup truck driving throughout camp, blasting loud music, and in the back of the truck was Scotty wearing a full-body blue man suit, skin-tight, just dancing the day away. And there's a couple problems with that. One, it wasn't safe for Scott. Uh, two, it wasn't safe for kids because there was like kids like running after the blue man dancing in the truck. And the suit was just way too tight. It was just, it was ridiculous. So I had to tell him to... I had to tell Scott to pack up his blue man suit, but to be honest, I had a moment of envy. Um, not, not that I envied his blue man suit, because if I would have worn it, it just it would not have fit right, and it would have been horrendous. Um, but I was looking at Scott, the 17-year-old counselor, who, you know, yeah, may have been doing something irresponsible, but it was hilarious and awesome, and I was totally envious, because I was like looking at Scott, and I was like, I used to be that guy. I used to be the 17-year-old counselor who was irresponsible and crazy and just wanted to run around and do Scooby-Doo voices and play with puppets at camp and, and just dance the day away. Um, and you don't want to see that because I literally have no rhythm. Um, I'm also envious of anyone who can dance. If you're here and you can dance, I am envious of you because literally when I dance, I look like a seal that's been shot. <laughs> it's not in my notes. I, just, I was trying to think of what I look like. Yeah, if you shot a seal and it was flopping around, like that's what I would look like. Um, we, we all have this desire. Um, we want to be who the other person is. Maybe you've had that. My whole life I've struggled with that, looking at other people and saying, I want to be that guy. We want to be doing what the other person is doing, and we long to kind of put ourselves where others are. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, an English author and poet from the early 1900s, says, if greed is the haves versus the have-nots, then envy is the have-nots versus the haves. And it's very true. We long to place ourselves where others are. Envy is, first of all, it's a desire for someone else's life. And if you don't think our culture struggles with this, why do we spend so much money on magazines like People Magazine? Why do, why do we obsess over celebrities? We obsess over their success. And we even sometimes take joy in their failures. Um, why do we follow celebrities and, and people, not just you know celebrities in the mainstream, but now we have YouTube celebrities and Instagram celebrities and Snapchat celebrities. Why do we follow these people? Why do we even try to dress like them? Why do we spend way too much money on their clothing brands? It's sad. Celebrities are actually making money off of our envy. They're like, oh, these people want to be like me? I'm going to overcharge them. Kanye West sold a plain white t-shirt for $120. It instantly sold out because people were like, he's cool. I'm envious of him. Plain white t-shirt that I could like, get it through the loom. Like, whatever. I'm going to pay $120 bucks for it. It's, it's crazy. It's a joke. And our, it's because our culture is saturated with envy. I keep having the same conversations with people over and over. It starts like this. People say, oh, I decided to do like a social media fast, and I realized I'm a lot happier without it. Or are people saying things like this, like, oh, Pinterest makes me hate my house. I just, I look at these things on Pinterest and I hate my life because everyone's life is so much better. Or people say things like this. I stopped following a friend on Instagram, and now that I don't see nonstop snapshots of their perfect life, it makes me feel a lot better about mine. See, the danger of the internet age is that it's very easy to tell partial truths. It's easy for us to show the fabulous meal that we're eating, but not the mess that it takes to clean up afterwards. It's easy to display the smiling couple shot, but not the fight that you had three days ago. It's, it's easy to offer up kind of those sparkly milestones of your life, but not the spiraling meltdowns. And Seeing the best possible versions of people, and they're often unrealistic, half-truth versions of other people's lives, it, it, it's not the only danger of the internet age. It's because our, it's, it's our envy buttons really get pushed um, when we look at these people because we rarely check Snapchat or Instagram when we're having our own awesome experiences. 
Think about it. When do we check Snapchat and Instagram? It's when we're bored and when we're lonely. And it intensifies that boredom and loneliness. When you're sitting laughing at a meal with friends, are you scrolling through Pinterest? I hope not. Uh, When you're in a deep, meaningful conversation with your best friend, are you checking to see what's happening on Instagram? Of, Of course not. We check in with our phones when it seems like nothing fun is happening in our own lives. When we're standing in line at the store or when we're in class during a boring lecture. I I got on uh, Instagram the other day and my friend Hagen, uh, who we led to the Lord, uh, you know, a couple years ago um, down in in Piro Beach. I follow him on Instagram and I click on his live video and he's totally just like live videoing in class. And I was like, dude, like... When I was a kid, like, if you had your phone out in class, like, they, like, threw it in a furnace and, like, Tom Frisee burned it. Um, So, like, do you have teachers just given up on trying to keep kids from using their phones in class? And Hagen was like, yeah, bro, like, they don't even care. Like, we have complete power over them. And I was like, sweet. Um, But, yeah, we we get on our phones when things are boring, like when we're waiting for the coffee to brew. And it makes sense um, that in those moments of boredom and sadness that anyone else's fun or beauty gets underneath our skin. Uh, It magnifies our own dissatisfaction with that moment. When you're waiting for your coffee to brew, the majority of your friends probably aren't doing anything more special. But it only takes one friend posting their vacation pics or a couple shoot to make you feel like a loser. Because you're like, oh, I wish I was on vacation. I wish I had an awesome boyfriend or girlfriend. Oh, it's so frustrating. It brings up this envy, this desire to be someone that you're not. Envy is first a desire for someone else's life. Second, envy is not just simply a desire for someone else's life. It's a sadness over their blessings and it rejoices in their failures. Have you ever experienced sadness over seeing what someone else had? Not just feeling like, I wish I could be them, but discouraged and depressed feelings that they have a life that I don't, that they have a life that you don't. It's like this brokenhearted sensation. It's like, I can never have what they have. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever looked at someone and said, oh, I can never have what they have? Have you ever been someone, have you ever been around someone that's more beautiful than you? And you look at them and you're just like, oh, they're so good looking. And like, no matter what, I can't get it. No matter what haircut I look, no matter if I lose weight, like I just, I'll never look as good as that guy or that girl. Have you ever been around someone more talented? And like, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you've worked, that person, it just seems, it's like effortless. They just, they sit down at that musical instrument or they get on that field and they just blow everyone away. And you're like, I've been practicing for like 20 years. It's so frustrating. We, we deal with this sometimes, and when, when we look at people, and it's like all the things that we love, you know, we, we think, you know, I, I thought I was a pretty good-looking person, and then she walked into the room, or I thought I could sing, and then I heard that person sing, and it's just like, I don't even want to try anymore, or I thought I had this gifting until I worked next to that person, and they just dominated that job. There, listen, guys, there will always be someone better than you, always. There will always be someone more talented. There will always be someone that can do your gift better than you. And it breaks our hearts because our egos can't handle it. I remember uh, when I was a student, you know, I played the piano. I still do. Um, not that much publicly, but at home, I like to mess around the piano. That's why I have one in there. I enjoy it. And when I was an insecure 14, 15-year-old high school student, um, I didn't really have much going for me. You know, I didn't really have good looks. I didn't really know how to dress myself, but I could play the piano. I, I memorized like six songs on the piano. It was like uh, some Death Cab song and Ray Radiohead's Karma Police and the Beatles Let It Be. And you guys are like, we don't know that song. It's because you're old, Aaron. And I'm like, oh. Um, but I would play those songs. And back then, you know, the girls that I knew knew those songs. So I was like, I could impress these girls by playing these songs at high school home fellowships. So that was my plan. Um, and I would sit at the piano and I would hope that people would notice me. Now I was best friends with a guy named Trevor Daigle. And Trevor was a really good musician. And while I worked really hard at trying to get these, you know, songs down, he was a guy who could just sit on the piano and just like come up with these songs on the spot. And he had like a million songs memorized of how to play. And literally it didn't fail. Every home fellowship, I would sit down at the piano and I'd, I'd start my first song. And I would literally get one minute into my first song and Trevor would come up to me and say, hey, can I see that for a second? And he'd literally like inch me off the piano and he'd sit down and he would play this masterpiece. And everyone would gather around and be like, dude, Trevor, you're so cool. Oh my gosh. And I would just sit in the corner like, 
oh my gosh, like I was so bummed. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you've been there. You know, envy creates in us this incredible discouragement, this overwhelming sense that I will never be great. I will never be that good. And how sad is it that, you know, I couldn't even enjoy the beautiful music my friend was playing because he was better than me and he still is. And that's okay. Uh, you know, Aristotle defined envy as the pain caused by the good fortune of others. And in other words, it, it's not just inability to celebrate others good, but it's literally rejoicing at their loss. It weeps at another person's victory and it laughs at their failures. It says, if I cannot have what they have, then neither should they. Remember what we read in James 3. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. It says every evil thing is there. When you have envy, you have every evil thing. How many of you guys are ice skating fans? Anybody? Yeah, awesome. So how many of you guys know about the, the thing that happened in the 90s between Nancy Kerrigan and Tonya Harding? Anybody? Like a few people? Yeah? Okay, so this is a story from the 90s, and that's when I grew up, okay? So give me a break. Um, but I don't like watching ice skating, but my mom and sisters loved it, so eventually I ended up watching it because um, we only had one TV back in the 90s. So um, there was these two professional skaters named Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. Nancy Kerrigan was the greatest, and Tanya got jealous. And so her boyfriend hired a guy to run out on the ice and bash Nancy's kneecaps. This actually happened, and it's pretty lame because the way he did it was ridiculous. Like, if you're gonna try to break someone's legs, like, use a baseball bat. He used like a telescope. He like ran on the stage and like hit her with a telescope. Super weird. But that's that's really that's what envy brings. It, it, it pushes us to do extreme things. And maybe you're not going to sit there and bash someone in with a telescope, but maybe you're hating them in your heart. Maybe it's pushed you to try to sabotage them. Maybe it's pushed you to try to get at that person and cut them down and use words that just destroy them because you can't handle the envy in your own heart. The Bible says where envy is, every evil thing is there. So why is envy so hard to detect? Why is envy so hard to detect in our lives? Well, really think about it. Envy is a very difficult sin to detect in our lives, but, but literally it's like a poison and it's like a cancer within us. Envy is the most secretive of the vices. If you don't know what vice means, a, a vice is basically something that you give yourself to and it takes hold of you. It's like, it's a trap. It's, it's a sin that takes possession of your heart. That's what a vice is. Envy is the most secretive of the vices because it hides away in our heart and it hides itself really well. The horror of envy is this. We're, we're going to look at six other sins in this series, and for the most part, you can enjoy these sins. You can enjoy pride, you know? You can enjoy being prideful. You can enjoy lust. You can enjoy rage or apathy or greed. You can't really enjoy envy. Envy makes you sick. It leads to complete dissatisfaction with life. Envy is it's that one vice that you never can truly actually enjoy. You don't enjoy the feeling of longing for the life someone else has. I know I don't. Or the sorrow that you can never have that life. And you can't really enjoy the satisfaction of someone's downfall because you know that the moment that one of your friends sees that within you and they notice that you know, you're, you're just sitting there and you're just loving watching this person you were jealous of fall, the moment they see you that, acting that way, they're going to think, man, that person's petty and small and self-absorbed. So that's why we hide envy so well because envy is shameful. It's humiliating. And so we don't often admit that we're envious. Even sometimes to ourselves, we won't admit that we're jealous of someone. And so we hide our envy behind false indignation and self-pity. What does that mean? False indignation. False indignation is disgust. It's, it's false disgust that hides our true feelings. False indignation is when we see someone's success or lavish lifestyle and we say, ugh, can you believe them? They're just too much. Have you ever done that? You see someone who's better than you, and instead of like admitting that you're jealous, you, you act like you're just disgusted by them. Um, we act that way when we're really thinking, we're not thinking, oh, this person disgusts me. We're thinking, I don't have enough. I wish I had what they had. Have you ever seen a friend get like way too mushy with their boyfriend or girlfriend? And you're just like, ugh, I can't stand them. But really, you're like, oh, guys, you're so annoying. Stop. But really, deep down, you wrestle with envy because you wish you had someone who loved you enough to write embarrassing Instagram love declarations for you. 
Another way we hide our envy is self-pity. Um, we, we say, well, I, I would have been able to do that if I had the same upbringing they had or if I had the resources they had. Or for me, it was always like if I had the metabolism they had. <laughs> you know, it just would be so great. <laughs> anyway, uh, when we act this way, really, it's an intense critical spirit towards the person we're envious of or, or self-pity that says, woe is me. Everyone has it better than me. Envy hides within self because because it's so petty and self-absorbed, it unveils our ego and insecurities. Envy hides behind criticism. Are you ever hypercritical of someone? Do you ever just criticize someone? Is there someone in your life where when you're with your friends, you just are so critical of that person? You're so quick to judge them. You're so quick to talk trash about them. You know, is there someone in your life that you're annoyed by? They just drive you crazy because they're so perfect. Someone that you see they can do everything you can do but better. Maybe you're even close friends with someone like that. But deep down, there is this deep-rooted envy that kind of, celebrates when they make a mistake. Maybe you're just really good friends with somebody, but they're so much better than you. And, and whenever they get cut down a peg, you know, they make a mistake, they say something stupid in public, they play the wrong chord, they drop the ball on the field. There's a little part of you that like rejoices because you're like, that makes me look a little bit better. Yes, I've been there. Are you so critical of people that you are quick to point out their failures because deep down you're actually envious of where they are in life? Do you have anyone that you're like with that? I found myself today realizing that I have a lot more illustrations than I'm willing to share tonight. I have been a man who's fallen into the trappings of a hypercritical spirit towards others. And really at the root of it, it's my own envy and my own ego that just longs to be where others are. I remember when I was in England, um, when I met Brooklyn and we were over there in Bible college, you know, and this is the early days, the first couple weeks, there's this guy in Bible college and he was British and like, not like the like stuck up, like nasally, like, hey, hello, cup of tea. We had a guy at Bible college who was like that. He was cool. Um, we had this guy named Tom Bateman and he was one smooth operator. He just had this like, just this lovely British accent. Hello, they love how you doing there. Oh yeah, right, right. Like he was one of those guys. The girls love this dude. Like just all these American girls going over to England. They're just like, this guy's a and man, I just really struggled with this guy because I was just like, oh, he's getting so much attention and like, I can do a British accent, but it's fake, so no one cares. And um, I remember I went on this missions trip with him and he was on my team and I, it was like these two, Tom and then this other really hot guy um, named Josh. And uh, they were just really good looking guys and all the girls on our trips were like all over these guys, like running their hands through their hair, just being super flirty. And that's what happens when you send a bunch of college students to uh, another country with no supervision. Um, but we're over there. And then it was like me and this other weird guy named Matt who liked to interpret people's dreams. And like the girls wanted nothing to do with us. And, um, you know, in the meantime, God had brought me Brooklyn, who was just my best friend. And she liked me for who God had made me to be. And it was just sad because envy causes us to miss God's plan because we're so focused on what we don't have you know I'm, I'm looking at this guy and I'm jealous you know that he's getting all this attention but God had provided me with something so much better than just attention he had given me a best friend who ended up being the most amazing wife I could have ever hoped for and dreamed for um you know, we find it difficult not to criticize others, though, because we deal with this envy. The most, it's most difficult when someone does what we do better. And, and this is when we really look for things to fault them. This is when we really get annoyed at them. It's because we cannot bear it to deal with how good they are. So we look for anything in that person to be critical. There's a story in Numbers chapter 12 about uh, Miriam and Aaron. That was the brother and sister of Moses. And it's this great illustration in the Bible. Um, see, Miriam and Aaron were, uh, like I said, Moses' brother and sister. And they had been with Moses ever since God used Moses to deliver Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And now they're some of Moses' right-hand helpers. However, they become jealous. They become envious of Moses' relationship with God. And the fact that Moses is the one that God had chosen. And so they speak out critically against Moses. In Numbers uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read this. It says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses.
Moses because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. I love how it just like double emphasizes that. It lets you know that they really cared about it. They, they nitpick, notice some random flaw with him. They're just like, it's not even a flaw. There's no law against marrying an Ethiopian woman. Um, so, and they're thinking like, he shouldn't have married that woman. What was he thinking? Who does he think he is? Who, say, who, who does Moses, or who is he that he says he has the right to be the spokesperson for all of us? Look at what he's done. He's married this Ethiopian woman. Apparently they were racist against Ethiopians. They accused him of doing something wrong, but he hadn't really done anything wrong. And, and so envy causes them to really strain to find a flaw with Moses. Just like envy causes us to really strain to find flaws with others. So this is what the Lord said. Uh, the Lord spoke and, and um, the Lord, or no, no, sorry. Um, so Moses, or um, Miriam and Aaron, they say this. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And you can almost hear their like internal argument. They're like, you know, remember Miriam sang that beautiful worship song after the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea. Or Aaron, Moses was too scared to talk to Pharaoh, so Aaron did it for him. And it was Miriam who actually sent Moses down the river in a basket when he was a baby. So if it wasn't for her, he wouldn't even be here. And yeah, God had used Miriam and Aaron in the past, but now they're discontented. They're envious of their brother and now they're nitpicking his life and they're looking for something to find fault in him. And God hears it. God heard their grumbling against Moses. And you know what he said? He came down and he spoke to Miriam and Aaron and he says, Miriam and Aaron, did I choose you for this role? No. I chose Moses. And it says that his anger was stirred up against them. And it says that he struck them with leprosy. Not permanently. Uh, Moses goes to God and he begs God to heal them. And he does. But God's giving them this point. He's saying, don't speak out against my plan. Don't, like, this is what I want to do. I'm God. Don't speak out against it. Who are you? Who are you to question my plan? Because this is bigger than you, Miriam and Aaron. What is God's plan? Anybody? We've talked about this a lot in this group. So the whole thing with Abraham and the Jews and Egypt and the promised land, what was God's plan? What's his end goal? To save the world. To bring Jesus into the world. So Miriam and Aaron aren't thinking about that. They're just like, we're in the desert and we're super jealous of Moses. And God is saying, listen, my plan is bigger than what you're trying to do. I have a plan and you need to get on board with what I'm doing. Obey, stop being envious. There's this classic play called Amadeus. It's the story of Mozart, who's this classical music composer. How many of you guys have uh, heard of Mozart? Yeah? So just brilliant classical music composer. I'm sure it's not really probably on your Spotify playlist, but um, I do enjoy classical music. So um, this play, Amadeus, is, it's this fictional drama of the rivalry between Mozart and this Italian composer named Antonio Salieri. And uh, he's this composer at the same time as Mozart. And Salieri had dedicated his life to God. He said, I'll be single for you, God. I won't marry. I will set myself apart for you, God, if you'll only just give me just beautiful compositions and classical music pieces for me to perform. Like, if you just inspire me, God, I will dedicate my life to you. Make my music the best, God, and I'll follow you. But then Mozart shows up, and Mozart is this out-of-control young man who shows up in the scene, and he just, without any effort whatsoever, begins to make these gorgeous musical pieces that Salieri could never make in his wildest dreams. And it drives the guy crazy. He's like, how could God bless this young man with this gift? When he's so crude and undisciplined. And he looked for all of Mozart's faults, but he couldn't find any, and it drove the guy insane. Guys, listen, there will always, always, always be someone better. God never calls us to focus on others. You have one life. Live the life that you're called to live. Stop comparing yourself with others. Because envy will cripple you with self-pity. Envy hides itself behind self-pity. And this is one that you have to watch, guys. Do you you feel like a victim? If you're here tonight, do you feel like a victim? Does life seem unfair Is it not possible that you're actually just envious? Constantly having these thoughts run through your head. All my friends are dating and I'm not. That was, oh my gosh, for me, like one of my biggest points of envy. Just all my friends had girlfriends and I was the one guy who didn't. Or that person is beautiful and I'm not. They were born that way. They're just, it's genes and it's luck and and I don't have that. Um, Another story from that missions trip. Um, So we're putting together these skits. 
you know, to share Jesus with people. And there's this one skit that we did called Redeemer where, you know, I think some of you guys have probably seen it. There's like a girl and then there's like Satan and demons and they come and like tempt her. And then like Jesus comes and saves her. So at the time, you know, I had kind of like, you know, this like little scrangly beard going on and long hair, like long hair down to my shoulders. Okay, so I'm thinking like, I'm going to be Jesus in this play. (laughs) Who else but me? They picked Josh Arnold. Like just he was like the most stereotypical all American, just good looking dude. And I got the Jesus hair, and I'm like, what? Guess who they cast me as? Satan. They're like, you look weird. Satan. (laughs) Have fun, dude. I was so bummed. I was just like, it's not fair. I'm the better actor, but just because he's better looking. And you know what? That was envy talking. Maybe you're looking at someone tonight in your life, and you're saying, it's not fair. They had an unfair advantage. They had a better upbringing than me. Maybe you're here, and you're thinking, I came from a broken family. I didn't have the dad that they did. I didn't have the mom that they did. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, my parents got a divorce. Their parents are perfect. If I would have had the home life that they had, I would have been able to succeed as much as them. Listen, there's a self-pitying reality that comes upon us. And believe me, like I fall into it. I mean, seriously, like for, for me, I look at my life and there's been so many times I've just had self-pity on myself, you know, because my, my story growing up is, you know, I was this kid who uh, suffered from ADD. You know, my parents wanted to put me on this medicine called Ritalin because I was so hyperactive and all over the place, um, socially awkward, um, hyperactive. I had weight issues from, you know, probably junior high. I started to really blow up, um, you know, and it didn't help that I had, you know, kids at my school telling me that my legs were the size of two Christmas hands is what a guy named Mike Baca told me when I was in PE class. Um, Sorry to name drop there, Mike, but you did it. Um, And and I was just, I was insecure and and I was the pastor's kid. And so on top of all of this insecurity I'm dealing with as a junior high and high school student, my dad is the pastor, like literally the guy who oversees the school that I'm at and he taught one of our Bible classes. And so literally no one wanted to tell me about anything. If there was stuff going on, relationship stuff, you know, parties going on, Going out, like literally, I was always out. Like everyone thought, if we tell him and anything goes wrong or we're gonna do anything sketchy, he's gonna go tell his dad. So literally, it was just like I was just wandering out of school, going, "Hey guys, what's up?" And they're like, "Oh, nothing." Like that was just that was my life. Like just just no one wanted to talk to me because I was the pastor's kid. I hated Valentine's Day at Calvary Christian School because remember they do those valograms. Um, And like everyone else always got more than me. And I'd get like two and, you know, the guy sitting next to me would get like 20. You know, I'm like, oh, I was so bummed all the time. Um, I was jealous that others had more friends than me. In junior high, I had some friends. We were nerds. We hung out by the fence together. All the, you know, all the cool kids sat at the fence. Um, No, the cool kids sat at the lunch tables. The nerds sat at the fence. So we sat at the fence and we like traded Pokemon cards and stuff. And it was was cool. Um, But, uh, you know, when they left at the end of junior high, I had no real like close friends throughout high school. I was constantly without a group. Um, I know so many of you guys, you have groups and you just thrive on that. You're like, oh, my, my squad, my crew, like these are the guys, every home fellowship, every church service, like I go to these guys and I hang with them. I wanted that desperately in high school. And literally I just, it was like, I was like this square or this uh, circle shaped peg that wouldn't fit with the rest of the square pegs. It's like, I never fit anywhere. And so I was constantly just wandering from group to group and never really fit anywhere. I know I never felt like I belonged. And I, I was jealous that, you know, all the guys in my class were dating and I just could not get a girlfriend. Even though junior high relationships are stupid and high school relationships rarely last unless they're built on Christ, I was always envious of these people uh, who were popular and outgoing and charming. Maybe you've dealt like that my whole life. I would just look at people and I'd get so frustrated that they were so good looking or so charming. And I was just, it wasn't that I hated them. I, I, I liked them, but I just struggled with just feeling like these people were so much better than me because when I looked at them, I saw everything that I wasn't. It was like looking in a broken mirror. Every time I saw them in the reflection, I, I saw this broken mirror image of myself that I was not ever going to be with they were. And yet, guys, I am here tonight to tell you that God has honestly rescued me from this cycle of envy. God has shown me that my identity is in him and that I'm loved by him and that he would have died for me if I was the only person on the planet. 
God has shown me that just like all of you, I'm chosen for a purpose. I'm called to serve God. I'm rescued to love. And God has led me to a place in my life where I finally feel like I know who I am and I no longer need to be jealous of others. And yeah, sometimes I still struggle with my appearance or my weight or my lack of abilities or how much cooler other people are, but it's not how it used to be. It doesn't obsess me and I'm able just to pray it away and say, you know what, God, that that shouldn't be how I'm thinking because I know who I am in you. I'm blessed with a wife I absolutely don't deserve because she's just so beautiful and amazing and kind and sweet and caring. And she may, have you had the cookie she makes? Just amazing. I don't deserve that. And I have a job that I love and, and I have a calling so strong that if I lost my job, I would still serve the Lord however I could. If the church burned down and I wasn't able to be the youth pastor, if they couldn't pay me, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go work at Starbucks and I'll volunteer because that is the calling. And I'm so secure in who God has made me to be. So God can do miraculous things. And believe me, I could say that my life was unfair, not as unfair as others, but I could say in some ways, compared to the people around me, my life was unfair. And it's true, there are certain things that we have to deal with as far as our past and baggage, but it's never healthy to compare yourself to others. And use self-pity as a cover-up for what is actually envy. So let me ask you guys the question tonight. Why is envy so deadly? Why does it do so much damage to us? Here's why. If you're taking notes on your phone, just jot this down and think about it and pray over it. Envy, here's why envy is so dangerous. Envy drains you of joy. It poisons your contentment and it destroys gratitude and it crucifies love. Envy drains you of joy. It poisons your contentment. It destroys gratitude and it crucifies love. Envy drains you of joy. It's literally a joy vacuum. It just sucks the life right out of you. It poisons contentment. It leaves you with the inability to enjoy your life as you are right now. It robs you of that ability. It destroys gratitude. You become unthankful. You think, how could I be thankful for this life? God, how could you give me this life when you gave them that life? It gives us a lack of gratitude. And ultimately, it crucifies love. Right before Jesus is crucified in the Gospels, there's a verse in Mark 15 that tells us what's going on behind the scenes. It says this, For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Because of what? Envy. Envy. It was envy that crucified Jesus. It was envy that caused all this. Think about Satan in the beginning. Before he came to earth, before he started the revolution of these angels to fight against God, what caused the sin revolution to start. It was envy. It was Satan looking at God and saying, I could do what he does better. In fact, I'm going to tell the other angels and see if they believe me. You know what, guys? I could be a better God than Yahweh. I could do his job better. It was envy that caused the fall. It was envy that caused Adam and Eve to look at the fruit that Satan offered them. And Satan said, hey, listen, being a human is great and obeying God's orders is great. But you could actually be like God. You could be like him. He sold them the same lie he told himself. And Adam and Eve looked at their life, this perfect life, this life that we will never know until we get to heaven. They looked at God and they looked at the fruit and they said, I want what God has. I want to be like God. And they took the fruit. It was envy that caused the Pharisees to turn against Jesus because they said, who is this guy, Jesus, who shows up and starts teaching and all the people love him? That's ridiculous. And they crucified him. And it's envy that causes us to sink into sin. Bertrand Russell was one of the greatest atheist thinkers of the 20th century. And he said this, envy is one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. That's an atheist who admits that. Envy is one of the most potent causes of unhappiness. Envy turns us into complainers, and it drains us of our ability to enjoy life now. Question, are you content? Are you content? Are you happy with the life that you have? Or are you looking at what others have, and are you thinking, I would be happy if I had that? Have you turned green with envy? There's a story in the book of Numbers 
I just read this in my devotions about a month ago. There's a story that perfectly reflects the stupidity of envy. Israel has escaped into the wilderness. They're out of slavery. They're out of Egypt. And they're wandering for years trying to find the promised land. And and now they're hungry. They're in the desert and they're hungry. So what food do they want? Well, they say, God, we want the food we had in Egypt. I'm going to read to you guys these verses from Numbers. Uh, It says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. That was me before the pizza showed up. I was yielding to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept. They just start like bawling. They start weeping, crying, and they said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. Notice there's that longing for what someone else has. They envy the Egyptians. The, The children of Israel wept, and they said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely. This is almost like a total joke, because they're like, we freely ate the fish in Egypt. Notice, they ate free food in Egypt, but were they free? No, they were slaves. And while they were slaves, they said, how can we enjoy this food when we aren't free? And now they're free and they're complaining about the food that they had. They complain about the food that they're eating as free men and women and wishing that they were slaves again so they could eat the food in Egypt. It doesn't make sense. The verse goes on. It says, oh, we remember the food. Oh, the food, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. That sounds like the saddest Olive Garden salad of all time. This just sounds pathetic. They say, but now our whole bean is dried up and there is nothing at all except this manna, this manna from heaven. Do you see how crazy that is? They're like, oh, God is literally miraculous and he brought us out of slavery and he brought us into the wilderness and we're on our way to a land that he set apart for us and now we have to eat bread from heaven and it's horrible and they say it was sweet as honey. It's like, that sounds great, honey bread. Like, I would love honey bread. It's way better than that nasty salad. There's nothing like it on the planet, man. It's so stupid. And you have to know, it's, it's just built into us, this desire to have what we don't have. Just like Israel, when you have something good, you're like, this is pretty good, but that thing over there looks great. Like, for instance, whenever I go to eat with my wife, literally, I'll order my food and I get what I want. I'm looking at the menu, I'm like, I want that. That looks so good. And I bring it out and then my wife's dish comes out and I'm like, you going to eat that? <laughs> Every time, I'm like, hey, can I just, uh, just, she's like, I literally have not even taken a bite yet, Aaron. I'm like, Brooklyn, I just want a little bite. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've gotten in trouble for that. I usually always end up eating like half of her food anyway. Um, but I always go for that first bite and uh, it's not good. So <laughs> the envious person does not know how to live in the moment because they're always wanting what they don't have. In this story, Israel's looking back to their slavery and wishing they could go back to their slavery. Remember, they were killed and murdered as slaves in bondage. And now they're dreaming of that Egyptian food, totally disregarding what God is doing in the moment. It's so tragic. Envy is built upon the danger of comparison. There's another story I read in the book of Numbers as I'm going through this in my devotions. Moses and Aaron are camping in the desert with all the people of Israel and they need help to point people to God. So they set up a system where the guys from the tribe of Levi end up being the priests. And there's this guy named Korah and he's also part of the tribe of Levi. And the Levites were given these specific duties to take care of the temple, God's house. And it's this huge responsibility. They were given special privileges and duties. But Korah didn't really like his duty. I don't know what he had. I don't know if he had to like sweep the temple or clean the temple bath. I don't know. Uh, but he, he didn't like his duty. So he said, I'm going to start an uprising. And he gets a posse together and they go to Moses and Aaron and they say, hey, you guys are doing too much. Why not have us do something? Why not have us do some of the things that you're doing, Moses? And then they go on to say, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is in the text. It says, you know, we're God's people after all, right? We're all holy, so why do you guys act like you're better than us? You're not more important, Moses and Aaron. You're not more holy. Why do you get to be closer to God? Let us, let us do your jobs. We'll do your jobs better. Korah and these men are envious. They want what they don't have. They wanted more responsibility than what they were given, and they wanted to be on the stage in the spotlight in front of the people. And you know what God's response is? He literally causes the earth to split, and the ground opens up and just swallows that posse up completely. Super harsh. Why did God do that? Well, remember, we talked about this a couple Sundays ago. What phase of God's plan is he in? Phase one. 
He's saving the world. It's so important that Israel makes it to the promised land so that Jesus is born. So when rebellion threatens God's plan, he just eliminates it. He's just like, you're in the way of my plan. Earth opens up. Like crazy. I think it probably reminded God of Satan's rebellion. Because remember, Satan stood before God and said, I can do your job better. And he got the angels to follow him. And God kicks Satan and those angels out of heaven. The angels and Satan and Korah and his posse were literally swallowed up by pride. Guys, I have fallen into that trap so many times in my life, a lot even in ministry. I'm just trying to be open and honest with you guys tonight. I compare myself to other youth pastors all the time. I look at guys who teach and I'm like, oh man, they're such a better teacher than me. Or I look at their stage, you know, they've got a really good stage. Or I look at their numbers, I'm like, oh my gosh, they've got like, I know a guy who has like 200, 300 people that come to his youth group. Sometimes I look at bands, you know, and and I look at guys who have like these worship bands at their youth group. I'm like, that's so cool. I wish we could have that. Sometimes I look at guys who have abilities. You know, there's there's youth pastors I know who are way more athletic than me or, or way more outgoing or way more funny. And I'm sure you can relate. I'm sure you have people in your life that you compare yourself to. Listen, envy has brought me much pain and grief in my life. It's caused me at times to lose sight of what God has. Instead of wanting to become like Jesus, the perfect one, I want to become like people I can never be. I get swallowed up in envy and pride. That's exactly what envy does. It swallows us and it destroys us. And listen, Envy, honestly, almost killed my potential for being the pastor of this group. You see, I was a volunteer in this group for many years. Back when Aaron and Scotty were in junior high, I I was a volunteer in the junior high group. And I was, at the time, working on my graphic design business, and I was uh, working on a project with John Barger, and I was doing all this stuff, but um, I was the graphics guy at the church. and, And, you know, I really started to fall in love with youth ministry as I got involved. I was like, youth ministry is so cool. And God started to really put on my heart. And so I started looking at this position of like the youth pastor assistant. And there was guys that I respect who had it before, uh, Tyler Donnelly, Jason Yetz, Oli Turley. I was looking at these guys, you know, and and at the time, Trevor O'Keefe, who was the junior high pastor, didn't have an assistant. And I was like, oh man, I want that position. I want to be the assistant. And I was just like jealous, like of people who had had it in the past. I was envious. And I was like, I would do that position so well. I would be the best assistant youth pastor. And, and I was like, it's open. Like Trevor doesn't have an assistant. Like I should be the assistant. It makes sense. I've been the counselor the longest in this group. I've been here four or five years. And, and I wanted what I couldn't have because you see, I went to my dad, the pastor of the church. And I was like, hire me as the assistant. It makes so much sense. I love youth ministry. I want to do this. I want to be the junior high assistant. And my dad was like, you know what? Sorry, but we actually need you to stay in graphic design because we can't afford anybody else. They were like paying me so little because I was the pastor's son. My dad was like, I could like hire somebody or I could pay my son peanuts for it, um, which was awesome, you know, but um, my dad was like, yes, yeah, son, like, sorry, like we can't afford to lose you on graphics. And I got so upset. I was just so bummed. And I was like, God, what? like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is the job that would be perfect for me. It drove me crazy. I became really critical of just things at the church, and I was just frustrated, and I got really sensitive. And it got to the point where I was thinking, you know, I'll just go to Maine, and I'll find a different job. You see, my wife was from Maine, and I started, like, asking around, like, youth pastors in Maine, emailing them. And they were like, yeah, you can come to Maine, and you can be the assistant youth guy. We can't pay you, so you're going to have to work on a fishing boat. And I was so blinded by my, like, just desire for this. I was like, that sounds awesome. Even though, I mean, look at me, I would die on a fishing boat. Um, I would get killed by a lobster. Um, And I remember I was just, I was so frustrated and, and I was just envious of this thing that I couldn't have. And I was talking to Jeremy King, the high school pastor at the time, and I was just like, just venting to him. And I was just so frustrated. I was like, I want to be the assistant. I can't. I'm so frustrated. I'm just going to move to Maine. And Jeremy said this thing that changed my life. He was like, he's like, Aaron, what would you do if you were the assistant? I was like, oh man, like I'd spend time with kids and I just, I would help Trevor so much and I'd just be there at everything and I just would be super responsible and awesome. And he's like, yeah, why don't you just do that? Like without the title, like why don't you just do that? If that's on your heart, like who cares if you can't have the job position? What if you just applied yourself and did it, dude? And it blew me away. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that makes so much sense. And God led me to give up my envy and, and focus on who God had made me to be. And it was crazy because when I did that, 
And I got my heart on track and I started just serving where God had put me. Instead of looking at others and saying, I want what they have, I want their position, I was like, okay, where does God have me? I'm a graphics designer at church, I'm a son, I have an amazing girlfriend, and I'm a volunteer in junior high ministry. I'm just going to do all those things to the best of my ability and not want what others have. And it was crazy because when I did that, God opened up this door where all of a sudden they offered me the job of junior high pastor. And I never thought I would have had that job in a million years. I never thought, I always thought I'd have to be an assistant and work my way up to that. And all of a sudden the door just opened up and that was exactly where God wanted me. I I never dreamed that I'd be there. That's the door that God had. Guys, God wants you to stop envying what you don't have because what God has for you is so much better. And I'm not saying I don't struggle with it because I still find myself envying people at times. There's still that inkling and desire for greatness. Um, Even just the other day, I was at this Christian club and uh, I had Alex Hebert, the junior high pastor, one of my great friends at at the church and school. I had him teach at this Christian club and he's teaching, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, he's doing good. And then this girl comes after, afterwards, and she's like, that guy was great. You should have him back next time. And I was like, thinking in my mind, I was like, but I'm speaking next week. I was like, it was like that envy came up. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. Envy raises its ugly head. It's that longing for greatness that we have. Listen, the worst thing that could happen to this group or your school or your friends and your family is if me or you or the counselors, if any of us give in to pride and envy, that's the worst thing that could happen. We must not think highly of ourselves or think we are greater than we are. Listen, we're all just pieces of the puzzle. We're small parts in God's big plan and we should be thankful to even be allowed to be a part of God's plan. We need to fight the tendency that says, I don't wanna be Lord who you made me to be. I disagree with how you made me. Listen, when we do that, envy swallows up our potential. Instead of that becoming who God made us to be, we sit and we pout about who we're not. So what's, what's the cure? If we don't want to let envy swallow us up, what's the cure? Let me just tell you, if God is showing you a place of envy in your life, if you're sitting here tonight and God's revealed envy, if you're just listening to this message and he's just digging up dirt in your heart and you realize like, man, I am envious, that's good. If you know what you envy, you'll discover what you're really living for. It unveils what's really important to you. It shows you ultimately what you're making your life about. Because when we're envious of someone, because if we think that if we had what they had, it would make us happy, it's saying it's what we place before ourselves. it's what defines us. In other words, what we put before our eyes as the end goal of all our pursuits defines who we really are. If your end goal is money, that's who you are. You're gonna be constantly envious of people who have more money and you're gonna be chasing after that empty dream. If your desire, if your end goal is success, or fame, or sex, or pleasure, or drugs, and alcohol, and parties, you're going to chase after those things, and you're going to be envious of anyone else who has them. Whatever captivates our minds captures us. So it begs the question, what are we filled with? For what is in a person defines what will come out. What did our text in James say, guys? It says, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What are you filled with? Romans 1, 28 through 29, speaking of ungodly people, says this. Um, it says, Even so, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want to fill their minds with the knowledge of God. So God gave them over. He gave them what they wanted. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, here's the cure, guys. Ephesians 5 is the counter verse. Ephesians 5.18 be filled with the Spirit. Listen, we should not be filled with envy because that only leads to emptiness. If you fill yourself with envy, or with you, if you fill yourself with envy, you will be left with emptiness. We must be filled with the Spirit of God. The primary purpose of the cross of Jesus is not to get us out of hell and into heaven. It's to that is true, but it is more importantly to get God out of heaven back into the heart of the man and the woman, getting his spirit back within us so that we might enter into a relationship with him and be made more like him. 
The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that you're the home of the Spirit. God is literally saying, I want to make my home inside of you. In other words, a man without, or a man or a woman without the Spirit of God is like a lamp without oil. It may be a lamp, but it cannot function like a lamp. a, A man or woman without the Holy Spirit is like a car without gasoline. It may be a car, but it can never truly function like a car. So it is without the spirit of God within us. We may be people, but we cannot function like the people that God intended us to be. Listen, God wants us to be spirit filled. This is not that you're getting more of the spirit, but it's literally that the spirit is getting more of you. Remember what Jesus, or remember what James says, the wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy. Are you given to the Spirit of God. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, now we're ready to turn from freedom, from the prison of envy. As we wrap up tonight, I just want to go over a few quick things. Remember, repentance is a change of direction. We've talked about envy a lot. How do we get freed from it? We need to turn. If you're writing notes, this is a really good thing to write down. Number one, we need to turn from envy to gratitude. If you feel like God is speaking to you in this message, I want you to make a commitment with me that no longer are you going to be ungrateful for who God has made you to be, but you're going to be thankful for everything God has given you in your life. You're going to thank him for who you are in Christ, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the scripture says. We can thank God and cry out like the psalmist in Psalm 100 verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Instead of looking at the beauty of others, we cry out, with the psalmist in Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am who God made me to be and I need to surrender to him so I can discover who that person is. And we're gonna be thankful for the life that he has given us instead of looking around at others. This can't be done without the spirit of God. The spirit helps us. And the next thing we need to do, number two, is to turn from envy to kindness. Ephesians 4.32 says, and be kind to one another. Instead of celebrating others' losses and weeping over their successes, celebrate people's victories. If there's people that you look at and you're so jealous of them and they do well, be stoked for them. Just be like, dude, well done. That's awesome. Praise, I'm so happy for you. And don't do it like passive aggressively. Like do it for real. If you don't have that in your heart, ask God for it. Say, God, give me your spirit so that when that friend who just, it just annoys me so much when they do that thing well because they play the guitar better than me or they sing better than me or they throw the football better than me or what they're, you know, I wanted to be the valedictorian and now I'm the salutatorian, you know, just that kind of thing. Just be thankful for who God has made you to be and be happy for them. Celebrate their victories. Listen, if I'm a good pastor, it should be my heart for all of you guys to do better than me in ministry. That should be my heart, that you guys would all do better, that more people would get saved from you than me, that you would grow up and teach better messages than me, that you would grow up and just be more effective for ministry than me. Like Gabby, when she was sharing today, like it was awesome. I'm like, she's so much better than me right now. That's, that's so cool. I was so like blessed by that. That should be my heart that you guys would do that. And if I'm a true pastor and a true shepherd, I will make myself like Jesus and, and wrap a towel around me and wash your feet. For Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. This is out of the kindness of Jesus. It's a sacrificial laying down of his life for others. That's what we need to turn to. It's it's saying, I will no longer exalt myself above others, but now I'll surrender myself to serve others. It's kindness. Are you kind? As we decreased, Jesus increases our kindness towards others. As we decrease, Jesus increases our kindness towards others. And finally, we need to turn from envy to contentment. We need to turn from envy to contentment. 1 Timothy 6 6 says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content? Not content as in like, I don't need to grow, I'm fine. We should always want to grow in our relationship with Christ. That should be the one thing we're like never content in. Like just, I need more of Jesus. We should always want to go further and deeper. But are you content with the place God has placed you in your life right now? Are you able to enjoy Jesus in the moment? Guys, we must be spirit-filled, not envy-filled. Let me just close with this beautiful verse from Proverbs 23, verses 17 through 18. It says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear 
of the Lord all the day. For surely there is hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. In other words, the greatest cure to envy is the hope that there is not all there is to be found in this life, that there's more. Yeah, in this life, you're going to be incomplete. That's why we'll always be envious, because there'll always be someone better, because we're imperfect. There'll always be someone better. But the best person is with us. We have Jesus in our life. We have Jesus in our heart. He's with us, and he loves us, and there's hope in heaven. It's that hope that says that we will know him one day, truly. And even so, one day we're going to see him for all that he is in perfection, but we can see him and know him now by the Spirit. The last thing I'll say, the very last thing, to know Christ is to forget envy. If you struggle with envy today, know this, to know Christ is to forget envy. When you discover who you are in Christ, you forget that cycle of envy. Lord, we love you. And I just pray for this group, Lord. I just know I'm probably not alone in this struggle. I've dealt with this my whole life. And I thank you, God, for freedom from this deadly sin that I've found in you. God, I just pray for all the people here today who struggle with envy, who maybe look at their siblings and think, I'll never be as good as them or their parents or their friends or their rivals. And just that envy that eats away, that bitterness in the heart that causes us to think less of others and more of ourselves, that causes us to go to self-pity and false indignation. Jesus, help us to turn from envy, to know you and to know who we are in you, that we're loved by you, that we're called by you, that we're forgiven and free, that you've called us for a purpose, that you've made us for a life that you have, that you have our best intentions in mind, that you're not gonna let us go, and that you just, God, you dream great dreams for our life even when we can't see them, even when we think it's impossible. God, help us to stop comparing. Help us to stop looking at others and saying, man, I want what they have. God, help us to say, God, I want what you have. I want what you have for me and what you wanna give me. Just give me more of that, Jesus.